It's good to be here. It is so, such a privilege to worship the Lord together and to hear God's people give him praise. He is worthy of praise. And it's good to hear his people pray and to receive benefit from that and to see how he pours out his grace in answers. Isn't that so? I have a great memory of the day that I climbed and make sure this is recording because the last time I forgot. I have a great memory of the day I climbed my highest peak in the Alps. We're in the Southern Alps and I made it to over 3,036 meters. I was pretty proud of myself. Of course, the panorama was absolutely amazing, but there was one thing that I saw that I will never forget. I saw what they call a bukatan. You know what a bukatan is? It's a mountain sheep, or an apex, or ipex. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. He was just meters away as we approached the steep and rocky summit. I was in awe of his power and then the effortlessness with which he climbed the steep rock face. He was agile, he was calm, confident, and left an impression as I dealt with all the burn of my own muscles after many hours of climbing. It was a sight to behold, and I'll never forget it. That is an image that can help us as we consider the strength that God gave Habakkuk in regard to the rugged terrain of his judgment, that is God's judgment. And I will start the message by reading the last verse of the third chapter, the last chapter of Habakkuk, because it is key to understanding the final chapter of this, what we call, minor prophet, whose message is major. So reading from verse 19 of chapter 3 of Habakkuk. And don't worry, we're going to read through the whole chapter, but I want to start here. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir mastered with stringed instruments. Now, as you remember, Habakkuk, this is our third message, three chapters, three messages. Habakkuk has poured out his heart to God in the face of injustice in his time, in his people, and also in what seems to be God's choice of judgment on his people through another people that are idolatrous and that are wicked and that are cruel. And he waits for God's answers. And God responds and reveals his righteous judgment, that it is right, that he is good, that he knows what he's doing, and points out the importance of the humble, patient faith that leads to salvation. And that leads Habakkuk to a sober prayer and deep worship to the God who is his strength and his salvation. And chapter 3 is basically a prayer. It's a prayer uh, that, that was sung. It, it, it goes to music, actually. We'll see that in just a second. But here's an attempt, because we're going to read through the chapter. But be, before we read through the chapter, here's an attempt to summarize this chapter in a single sentence, which will lead to our time of reflection together. And, and here's the sentence. Are you ready? God gives strength and to skillfully and confidently tread the steep terrain of his judgment. God gives 
strength to skillfully and confidently tread the steep terrain of his judgment. Before we move forward, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this book, for your revelation, what you reveal about yourself. Thank you, Lord, for your word and how it gives us faith. Even as we hear it, you build into us faith, faith that transforms our vision, our hearing, our life. May that be so by the power of your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. Believers can walk in strength because, and remember, keep that image in your head of this deer walking in these high places or this goat. Believers can walk in strength because God, first and foremost, we'll read the first two verses to see it, listens to prayer. Believers can walk in strength because God listens to prayer. And so let's read the first two verses, or yeah, two verses of Habakkuk chapter three. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to the Sigionoth, which is a type of uh, way of singing uh, a, a, a musical him. We don't know exactly all of the implications of that. And then he goes on to say, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Believers can walk in strength because God listens to prayer. A listening ear, did you know this? A listening ear is a powerful thing. The most difficult times for me are being in the middle of suffering and not knowing why or how or when the suffering will end. I don't know if you, ha if you can relate to that, but that, that's difficult for me. And one of the most effective helps in times like that, and I've lived times like that in recent years, one of the most effective helps in times like that is a listening ear. Not necessarily someone who's going to tell you what to do or how to solve your problems, but someone who really will listen to you. There are people who come to right to mind who offered such a listening ear at just the right time, just when I needed it. And I'll never forget it. And, and the best listeners were those that had compassion, showed compassion, mercy, and they offered sincere prayer. Do you know people like that? Have you received from people like that? You can be people like that to those who are in need. But for Habakkuk, God was the people like that. God was listening. And we see it through the book, don't we? Because God responds. Habakkuk is suffering and he needs an attentive ear, someone who will listen. He's suffering from flagrant injustice and incomprehension. We talked about that in the last few messages. He suffers because his people deserve judgment and he's a righteous man. He suffers because God has chosen to use a ruthless, idolatrous people to punish his people. And he's struggling with that. God, how can you do that? He's conscious of the pain that is coming and from which he will not be spared. <laughs> That's what he's coming to terms with. He knows God is going to judge. He knows that judgment is going to hurt. He knows that even though he's righteous, he's got to move through that suffering. And he's afraid. And we see that in verse 2, don't we? He says, I fear. Do I fear? Yeah, verse, verse 2 right at the end of that first part. He fears, and then we'll see it in verse 16 as well. 
He's fearful of all the implications of God's judgment. And what does he do? He finds his best recourse and hope in prayer. And that's what chapter 3 is. It's a prayer. Habakkuk is strengthened by, by God's loving kindness. And we talked about this the last time when we talked about his faith. He understood God to be good, and he held on to that. The righteous will live by his faith. His faith in a God who is good and righteous and whose judgments are always just. He knows that God will listen attentively to his prayer. He knows that God's plan will prevail even if it takes longer than he would desire. And that's what uh, verse 2 really is saying. As long as it takes, Lord, as long as it takes. He knows that God is full of mercy and will not fail to show it even in the heat of his fierce and righteous anger. God's listening ear strengthens us. God's listening ear strengthens us. Um, I don't know how many of you can recite the seven ancient wonders of the world. Do you know the seven ancient wonders of the world? I can name two off the bat. If you get on an easy jet here in Lyon in two hours, you can go see one of them. You know which one I'm talking about? The Colosseum in Rome. I've seen it a few times. It is a wonder. Some of you are from Asia. Maybe you've seen the Great Wall of China. I'd love to see that. You know, there's another wonder in the world, and it's ancient. It's been around for a long time, and it connects us directly to Habakkuk. The same God that strengthens Habakkuk with his listening ear will listen to us. That's a wonder because God is not obliged to lend us his ear. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need to relate to us, but he, he chooses to do so out of his love. And he chooses to respond in love and in mercy. That's a wonder. Do you realize what a wonder that is? And it's been around for a long time. And the stakes are high, especially if we neglect the benefit and grace that God gives us through prayer. And, and here's the question for you, for us. What is the state of your prayer life, especially when you are treading the hard places of life? What is the state of your prayer life, especially when you are treading the hard places of life? You know, when our prayer life is healthy, our walk with God in every circumstance, good or bad, will be on good footing. But we need to be doing it, especially in the good times, so we're ready to do it in the bad times. It's no wonder that Jesus would go on to reassure us of God's loving kindness in light of our needs when he said this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, th good things to those who ask him? <laughs> That's a wonder. Jesus said this to his disciples in full awareness of his need that will come of God's ear, the ear of his father, in the face of a terrible judgment that awaited him on the cross. And we'll say more about that in a moment. What a comfort in trials to know that God himself listens to us and to our prayer. But this is not the only comfort that we see in this text. It's not the only comfort that is promised here. God strengthens us through his commitment to judging evil. 
He strengthens us through that. Believers can walk in strength because God judges evil. Have you ever been robbed? Yeah. I was robbed a few years back. I'll never forget it. It wasn't our house, but it was our garage. And uh, I was pulling in. It was late at night. I was out involved in ministry. It was very late. And I pulled in, and you have an automatic door. It opens up. You hit the button. It opens up. You go down. You turn, and the garage closes. And what happened is that as I went down, and I didn't see in the shadows some of the people that were waiting as I went in to kind of put their foot under the, uh, the little sensor so the door wouldn't close completely. And uh, I turned, and I went through another exit, and, and little did I know that they came in, came into my garage. The lock didn't work at the time, so they opened it right up. And I had things in there. We keep things in our garage. And a number of things were stolen. And so I go into the... Um, into the house, of course I had no idea what was going on, but a neighbor had seen something, was a little suspicious, calls the police. The police come, find the culprits, and the next thing I know, I'm just about ready to go to bed, it's about three in the morning, the and the, and the, not the phone, but the sonette, the uh, doorbell rings. And I was like, who's ringing at 3 a.m.? Karen's in sleep in bed, and I had just come back from the Hope Alliance, we were out late at night, as we often are when we go out, and uh, helping victims of human trafficking. And so, and I, I pick up my little head, uh, ear or whatever you call that thing. And um, hello? He said, are you Mike, Mr. Dijena? I said, yes. Êtes-vous Monsieur Dijena? Oui. Avez-vous un garage? Oui. And then he goes on to list, do you have this, this, this? I said, yes, yes, yes. And uh, he said, can you come outside and see me? And so I came outside, and there's this police officer. And of course, is it really a police officer? Is this one, you know, what's going on here? And it was a police officer. And he said, we found the culprits. We have the goods. Will you come in and, uh, and um, porter plainte? What does that mean? Press charges. And at first, I wasn't sure. I said, yeah, I will. So the next day, I went to the commissariat, and I pressed charges, and I got my goods back. And uh, apparently, it was, it was some kids in the neighborhood, and their parents went in, and we've never had a problem since. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because I am thankful for police who do their job to protect the innocent by catching those who are, by protecting the innocent from, innocent from criminality, from criminals. I'm, I'm really thankful that the police do their job. The police are a positive force against criminality. And in my case, I didn't lose a thing because they were there and active and doing their job. Habakkuk describes God's positive and mighty power against much more than breaking into a garage, against real criminality. Not that breaking into a garage is not, but against evil. And let's read in chapter 2 or chapter 3, and we're going to go from verse 4, and we're going to read through the chapter now. And remember, Believers can walk in strength because God judges evil. That's what we're going to get at as we look more at this chapter. Chapter 3, starting at verse 3. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand. And there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. 
His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the seeth from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging rivers swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hand on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations and you thrashed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the heads of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with your own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Now that's a pretty strong chapter. Wouldn't you agree? That's a pretty awesome and terrible awesome in the sense of wow awe description of God we've had three words with Habakkuk three two euro words this is the third okay remember what the first one was theodicy questioning God's justice second one was federal headship I don't expect you to remember this this is just for me to, so I have content for my sermon just kidding third one is theophany the appearance of God in a sensible, tangible way almost. And God appears to Habakkuk in his glory, in his power. And Habakkuk describes it. And he is completely just flattened out by it. He's trembling. His knees are shaking. God's power is almighty. He is mighty in his glory, which fills heaven and earth, verses 3 and 4. He is mighty in his judgment against which nothing can stand, verses 5 through 12, 14 through 15. We can spend a series just on this one, these verses here, describing this theophany of God. He controls sickness and curses and can use them to punish. He controls the nations and their leaders who oppose the, their, his rule. He controls the whole creation which can only submit to his will. We don't have time to, to, to go into all the descriptiveness of what Habakkuk says, but there's one thing for sure. God's appearance is absolutely mighty. Nothing stands before him. His almighty power is fearful. That's what verse 16 is about. Habakkuk sees it, understands it, describes it, and he's trembling. Have you ever been so fear, uh, so afraid that you, you shake? That's not a nice feeling. God's almighty power is fearful. Nothing is safe before God's judgment. Nothing. Except those who are covered by his grace. 
C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia had a character who says in one of the one of those chronicles, and it's Beaver who's speaking. It's a beaver, actually, if you've seen the Chronicles of Nordica, Narna, Narna, Chronicles, Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> you know it. If you've read it, you've read it. And here's what, here's what Beaver says. He says, safe, and he's talking about God. Safe, talking about Aslan. Miss, Mr. Beaver said, safe, don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. God isn't safe. Aslan isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. God is not safe, but he is good. And Habakkuk comes in close contact with the God who is not safe, fearful, awesome in his judgment, but he's good. And he knows how to fight evil. So he asks, well, how does God's almighty judgment strengthen the believer? And Habakkuk, Habakkuk gives a good hint in verse 13, and I want you to look there for a second. You went out for your salvation, the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. God's almighty judgment brings deliverance. Did you see that? God's almighty judgment brings deliverance. This is a word that should strengthen us every time. If there is judgment, that means that God will do away with evil and deliver those who trust him. That's the hope. We should be very familiar with the deliverance that comes through judgment. Why should we be familiar with that? Does that ring true in your ears as I say it? We should be very familiar with the deliverance that comes through judgment. Habakkuk speaks of God's anointed in this very word, verse. God's Christ, the anointed one. God judged the most important deliverance in, a fallen, in the fallen realm was brought about through the judgment of God's very son who took on the sin, the evil of our sin on the cross. God judged our sin in his son who took God's full judgment and died. And that led to deliverance. Listen to the words of Peter in Acts. This is what he says. This man, Jesus, he's talking to the crowds, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, that is over to be killed, to be crucified, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep hold on him. This is the most important act of deliverance that God's almighty power accomplished when death was swallowed up in victory by Christ's work. Perhaps Habakkuk had the word of another prophet in his thinking, a prophet that came before him, a prophet by the name of Hosea, who said this, who declared this when he, prom he declared and proclaimed God's promise. He said, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol, of death, I shall redeem them from death. O oh, death, where is your plagues? O oh, Sheol, where is your sting? You know that verse, don't you? Because it's quoted in the New Testament. And it is exactly God's deliverance for which Habakkuk waits. He understands the judgment is coming.
but he also understands that through that judgment, deliverance is coming too. It may not be exactly the way he expected. He may have to suffer through it, but God's victory will prevail. That's exactly the deliverance that Habakkuk waits for. And how can I say that? Because he is celebratory like we were in worship. He is celebratory in praise to God as he walks on the steep terrain of God's fearful judgment. And that's the third and last point. Believers can walk in strength because God empowers them. Believers can walk in strength because God empowers them. Let's read verses 17, 17 through 20. And I'm going to start at verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Sing it, declare it, proclaim it. Believers can walk in strength because God empowers them. Now, while we walk on this earth, thanks to gravity, and bound by gravity, there are a handful of astronauts floating above us in the International Space Station, and one of them is named Thomas Pesquet. How many of you heard that name? Probably seen them in, in the news a lot in recent days, because he just went up about a month ago into the space station. He's the commanding officer for this particular mission. He's a great guy, and uh, just love hearing him. He, he's fluent in many languages. He's an astronaut. He can just do about anything. He's like this guy, he's just absolutely exceptional. I want to be just like him. <laughs> and he's French, yeah. And you know, when you, you know about astronauts, they have to be in very good condition physically. To be an astronaut, you need to be in tip-top condition in every respect, but especially physically. And yet, I can guarantee, like the last time, and Thomas Thomas was up there for about six months or maybe eight months, and when he came down, it was so impressive, when they take him out of the capsule... He, he can't walk on his own strength. He, he, and I thought, wow, that guy who's you know, so strong in every respect, he's, he's having trouble walking? And I can guarantee after he's done with this mission, he, he, even though he is in very good shape, even though he continues to exercise in space, he will have trouble walking when he comes back to Earth. Because the effect of weightlessness on muscles is a real problem for space travel, near and far. Muscles need resistance to stay toned to work properly. You'll see where I'm going with this. Don't worry. I'm getting there. When our muscles lack strength, there's only so much they can do. How many push-ups can your muscles handle? You don't have to answer that question, but if you want to, come to see me afterwards. How many kilometers can your legs run, especially with tendonitis? No, just kidding. All depends on your physical condition. And that's what makes regular training so important. And so helpful. And when our spiritual strength is lacking, our ability to withstand the uphill battles 
that come in a fallen world will be limited. In the face of his limits, Habakkuk draws from the best source of strength, God himself. He's the best source. In the last message on Habakkuk that I gave a few weeks ago, we saw how important faith is for our walk with God, giving us patience and hope for the righteousness that he gives. We see here Habakkuk's exercise of faith in one word in verse 18. Did you catch that word? It's also in verse 16. One word, yet, yet. His choice in the face of God's certain judgment, and he understands the judgment's coming, is to trust in God's perfect justice and great mercy, especially in precarious times. He knows that judgment's coming. He knows he's going to suffer in it and through it. He knows God is good, and he's depending upon God by faith to sustain him in that. He's fearful. It's not like he's unafraid. Faith is a spiritual muscle that weakens without exercise. And trials tend to exercise our faith like nothing else. Habakkuk exercises that muscle. And how does he exercise that muscle? It's really interesting. He exercises his faith, and we see it here, through worship. In the Old Testament, sacrifice characterized worship, namely the sacrifice of animals. This is not the sacrifice of animals, but there is sacrifice involved in what Habakkuk does here. For Habakkuk, there's sacrifice too, giving thanks to God for his perfect will, even, even when it means suffering. Can you get your mind around that? The author of the Hebrews thinks in Old Testament terms, and he puts it like this. He said, let us continually, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now here's the point. The most difficult kind of sacrifice, the most difficult kind of sacrifice to make is that of giving up our own will in favor of God's will. You know, praying, your will be done, we do it in a way, I think sometimes when we don't think about it. Your will be done. That's probably one of the hardest prayers that anyone could ever pray. I mean, we have trouble with our wills in, in relationship to those around us, don't we? People with who we work with, people we live with, our family. Wills do not bend very easily, do, don't they? Or do they? I don't know. You figure it out. <laughs> the most difficult kind of sacrifice is to make to make is that of giving up our own wills in favor of God's will and then giving him thanks in the midst of it. There's nothing easy about it. That will work your, your muscles, your faith muscles, your spiritual muscle. That is the source of the truest form of worship. And it is the best way to train our spiritual muscles for the challenges that will always come as long as we live in this world. The best motivation for any training is the benefit that it produces. That's why we go to a gym. That's why we pay for it. The ultimate benefit of the exercise of our faith in God is our salvation. Verse 19 closes on great footing. Remember the ebex, that mountain sheep. God is the source of our strength. That's what Habakkuk says. God, the Lord, is my strength. 
Paul will say it like this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. (laughs) That's strength. That strength gives us confidence to walk on the rugged and steep places of life. There's nothing so steep and precarious as standing before God's judgment. I don't think people understand to what extent that will be a very, very harrowing, difficult, terrible thing. Thankfully, those whose faith is like Habakkuk know where and how to find the strength that they need to walk on that terrain. The communion we are about to take reminds us of the strength that comes from what Jesus has done because he has won the ultimate victory over evil. And we're going to take the communion in just a moment. And it really is a fitting ending to to Habakkuk and to his message about sacrifice and about judgment bringing deliverance, isn't it? I just said a moment ago that the most difficult kind of sacrifice to make is that of giving up our own wills in favor of God's will. And that is exactly the struggle that Jesus had and overcame in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And his, his sweat was like tears, uh, like drops of blood. It was agonizing. But it wasn't his will that he chose, it was his Father's will. He did this, his Father's will, and that led directly to the cross and to judgment. Judgment that would bring us deliverance. This is the sacrifice we remember as we take the bread and the cup. Habakkuk saw it. We see it. He saw it, and uh, he didn't have as much revelation as we do. We see it, and we can really rejoice and worship God truly because of what he has done to bring our salvation, our deliverance. Before taking them, though, I want to point out one more part in one verse, a part of one which, of which I said nothing. Verse 3 describes God as coming from Taman and Mount Paran, coming in splendor. And this is where kind of doing a little background and history will help you. Those places are references to God's deliverance, his deliverance of his people from the bondage of Egypt. Habakkuk has that deliverance in mind as he anticipated the judgment of God and the salvation that God would bring through it. The cross is the most prominent intersection, literally, of history because it is where God's judgment brings salvation. And if you see that in that communion meal, you get the gospel. And if that's what you see and if that's what you're trusting in, you take the meal because God is your salvation, because Jesus is your savior. And if he's not, let the elements pass, but think about him and considering him becoming your savior, delivering you from your sin. Because if you haven't done that, today may be the day where you should think about it. And if you want to talk more about it, we can talk more about that. As we remember that, we remember that we will never forget the impractical price of our salvation and the reason reason for it. And that is reason to give praise, isn't it? Before we move forward with it, and I ask folks to come forward, let's pray.